Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wheelhouse DNA. And we had little Elvis running around. He had just started walking, so he was full on entertainment. So yeah, you would catch yourself laughing and you would feel guilty. But then if I would lay in bed and cry all day, I felt guilty for that doing that too because I was a mother to a one-year-old little boy and I knew that Nick would be like, honey, get out of bed, come on. Like, let's hook, like get up, like do something. From Wheelhouse DNA and Acast, this is Comfort Food, a show about life, loss, grief, celebration, and the meals that support us through it all. I'm your host, Kelly Rizzo. When I think of my guest today, the words joy and resilience come to mind. She lost her husband to COVID-19 in 2020, but despite that heartbreak, she's been able to achieve some incredible career accomplishments, all while showing up as a single mom for her son, Elvis. She's a performer extraordinaire, as a television personality on the talk, a fitness instructor, celebrity trainer, a dancer, and an actress, it feels like there's nothing she can't do. Here today in the studio, we have my dear friend, the one and only Amanda Klutz. Amanda, I am so happy you are here. Thank you for joining me on Comfort Food. And I just want to get into a little bit about how we first met, which we have told this story before, but for people who might not know, we met... I believe it was February 2022. Mm-hmm. It was just a few weeks after, maybe a month after I lost Bob. I think it was a month. Yeah. I like I remember it being a month. Steve Leader introduced us. Yeah. So Rabbi, Rabbi Steve Leader, who is Bob's rabbi and became a really good friend of yours yeah. after you lost Nick, mm-hmm. just through the whole grieving process. Yes. Um, he reached out to me and said, I think you should meet Amanda Klutz. And the funny thing was, was literally that day I had been going through your Instagram because I had known of your story and I went through your Instagram and I remember I wanted to see the first post you did after losing Nick where you were happy, like, or acting happy. Yeah. Or at least like having a smile on your face. Yes. And I remember I went, I went, I was like, how long after could she do that? Or at least put on a smile for the masses. Right. And Steve reached out to me that day and I was like, oh my God, it's a sign. I was just thinking of her. <laughs> I would love to meet her, please. Yeah. And he hooked us up and then we went and got coffee. You know what's so funny about that? And I don't even think I've thought of it until now, but the thing with grief is, and you know this, and you even know this probably even better than me because you were surrounded by comedians when you lost Bob, mm-hmm. but you smile, you laugh, you cry, you have a panic attack, you're laughing again, all in the same day. Like the day it happens, the next day, the next day. So what's crazy is you said I was searching for the post that you were that you posted that you were happy. It's it's so crazy because it's like a stigma that we can't be happy. Of course you're not happy. No. You're not happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just lost the love of your life. You're not happy. But life days, grief days are filled with all the emotions. And it's it's just so silly to think that we do censor ourselves so that we don't look happy right away. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. it's so, in trying to remove the stigma of grief, it's so wrong that, that we even have to do that. You're right. And I was so focused on that because... You and I, unlike so many people, had to go through this very publicly. Yeah. And my loss was very sudden. Yours was torturously not sudden. But we still had to do it publicly and in this big way where, you know, we had all these eyes on us. And I just want to get your thoughts and, like, how... 
that felt for you at the time because there's no guidebook on that. Yeah. And there's no, you know, you can get all the grief books in the world and there's not like, how do you do this with hundreds of thousands of people on Instagram watching you and People Magazine articles coming out about you? Like, there's no roadmap for that. So how did you find that? How did you get through it? Well, for me, it was, you have to remember what time, the time it was. We were all completely isolated, living in this very scary world of this pandemic that nobody knew what to do in. And it was literally the wild, wild west. And so... Ultimately, social media going through what I went through with hundreds of thousands of people all over the world saved me because I had a community of people to go through with it um, instead of being by myself. I don't know if that would be the same case now, but at the time when we were all stuck in our homes doing nothing, needing people, needing things to do and needing a community, it saved me. And you really, truly had a special community evolve around you. Obviously, yeah. there was the public aspect of it where you had this, yeah. you know, strangers who you didn't know, yeah. obviously just on social media. All over the world. Were yeah. supporting you. But then you were pretty much living in a new city. Yeah. And you were living in a new neighborhood that yeah. you were so excited about. And yeah. you had like actual neighbors and new friends and like people yeah. just pop up around you that became a new community. Yeah. The Laurel Canyon, um, this uh, one of my amazing neighbors, Jono is his name. Hey, Jono, if you're listening. <laughs> shout out. Um, shout out to Jono. Jono Hart and um, my friend Molly Tuttle and Trevor Tuttle. Um and some musicians that were in the neighborhood at the time. Anyways, they started doing these Sunday concerts for the community. And every Sunday they had this like outdoor concert. So every Sunday, you know, and I was usually there home because I was home from the hospital. If I had been from the hospital, we would all go down and sit outside and the whole neighborhood would come together and we would be singing our house. We would sing live your life for Nick. We would sing, um, all the like Canyon songs, you know, all the songs from the 60s and 70s that were written right on that street. And um, we really looked out for each other. I mean, Jono's sons would deliver us vegan muffins on their skateboards in the morning. And I mean, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. It was like, in a way, you like yearn for those times because you were so close to these people. And it was, you know what I mean? It was like how life should be in a way, you Isn't know? Isn't that weird that the darkest most sad, painful time of your life, you have these beautiful, beautiful memories. memories. Yeah, beautiful yeah. memories that, as you just said, it's it's so strange to want to think back and be like, I wish I could go back there. But yeah. there was, a, like the week after Bob passed, once again, this was, you know, you were going through this while Nick was still yeah. around like you were yeah. visiting him and then going through this shared community yeah. um, experience with me it was let's say the week after Bob passed when all these people were coming to the house and everyone was just surrounding you and everyone's sharing Bob stories and I mean it was horrific because we're all devastated and crying but at the same time there was this comforting sense of just having these loved ones around you which yeah. I mean it wasn't often where all of us would get together and just spend hours and hours and hours yeah. together. So telling stories was, and jokes right. and cooking food. And it was upsetting what brought us together, but the yeah. fact that we were together, it, it made it comforting in a sense. And you just mentioned music, you know, especially, I mean, mm -hmm. come on, Laurel Canyon, like the most historic place where some of the most incredible songs in the world were ever were written. Yeah. You're in that aspect, but then, Let's say that brings us to food, too. So we, you had the music bringing you together yes. and comforting you. Yeah. But then food, I'm sure, as especially when you're grieving, there is a food that's a comforting element as well. Yes. And, of course, the show is comfort food. Comfort um, food. <laughs> so, um, you know, what aspect did, let's say, food play in all of this for you? And then I want you to tell me a little bit about what your favorite comfort food is because we may or may not have it for you. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, um, it was very comforting, the food because of what you said. So at the time I was living in this small little cabin 
my friend's uh, guest house, and my sister and my brother were living with me for most of it. And then, um, you know, we would, they are both really good cooks, and Anna is an amazing baker. My brother was making, when it was just my brother and I, I remember, like, taking huge naps and coming out, and he was, like, making homemade chicken noodle soup. And I was like, Biggie, I call him Biggie. It's his nickname. Like, what, where did you... where did, he was like, well, you know, you had somebody brought you a roasted chicken, so I just made the broth, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, just you had some, some, yeah, broth. he's like, there's some vegetables left over, and I was like, I look in that fridge and see nothing, and he saw homemade chicken noodle soup, or I would wake up in the morning and Anna wouldn't have been able to sleep, and freshly been baked banana bread was, you know, coming out of the oven or cookies, and so. It really was that. And, you know, if I had a long day at the hospital, I would come home and we had um, Sarah Michelle Geller started this meal train for us for like three months. We didn't even worry about dinner. Every night at 7.30 p.m., some food showed up and they would, you know, my brother and sister would wait for me and we would all sit down and have this like family dinner. And so it was, you're right. It was very, very comforting. Um, My comfort food of choice though i love this um has nothing to do with COVID or anything in that time but it is a simple not gourmet simple grilled cheese with my favorite kind of french fry which is a waffle fry well well amanda (laughs) well our magic little uh little grilled cheese fairies and elves are going to be bringing that in here in just one second so far on the episodes of comfort food we've done we've sourced them from a restaurant but i was like no we're gonna make this homemade i love it because we didn't want to take the chance that it was going to be too fancy or gourmet well you know you can very specific saying not fancy or gourmet yes because i do This comes from living in New York City for 19 years, this grilled cheese comfort food. Um, Oh, wow. Look at it. Here it (laughs) is. Yummy. Even cut in triangles. Fantastic. I know, right? And ketchup. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Yes. So this, you know, I lived in New York for 19 years before I moved here. And, um, you know, New York City diners are the best, the best. And whether you're there for breakfast, lunch, or at 4 a.m. after clubbing all night, which I did do that as well. You cannot uh, do it if you're in New York at, <laughs> exactly, at some point. Exactly, my 20s. Um, you know, you, I just, I would always get a grilled cheese and, uh, and French fries. And there's, you know, diners usually have waffle fries for an extra, like, $1.50. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I just think it's, like, the best comfort Food. It just, it's like, it just hits the spot every it time. It does. And whether it's, as you said, uh, late night or maybe the next morning after too many drinks one morning. Mm-hmm. It's like if you don't feel like going out and getting McDonald's, mm-hmm. you can just make yourself a grilled cheese at home. And it works. And this is, okay. Ooh, they and did here's it. They, the. They, they did a good job. They did job. a great this job. This is very nice and melty. Here's the key. And why I said not gourmet, because American, it has to be American cheese. It has to. And when you go gourmet, they try to get fancy. And I'm not saying a fancy grilled cheese is not good. Believe me, it will get me every time as well. But there's just something so good about American cheese. And also growing up as a kid, I feel like my dad would make us grilled cheeses a lot because, you know, there was Mm -hmm. five kids in my family. And so, you know, you can have a cheap meal for yeah. Five kids. Well, this is what brings you back to childhood. Yeah. Like the fancy stuff isn't going to do that. And this is very, you know, this mm-hmm. is just, I do think we added a little mayo to the bread too. Mm. But it's mayo on the bread with some <laughs> butter and okay. two slices of American cheese. Very nice fancy. Very, very fancy. And then those waffle but fries good. for you. Simple, but Good. Yeah. The mayo, that's a fancy move. Yeah. But no, it's very good. It's perfect, Kelly. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome. But the point is, you know, because obviously getting into some of these discussions about times that were more difficult, times that were hard, times that can bring us back to a sad place or a dark place, like let's alleviate that a little bit and make it at least more palatable to, um, you know, by having this comfort food meal here that brings us back to a happy place. Even if it's a meal that you had 
during those dark times, mm-hmm. it can still bring you back to like a happy place. Yeah. You know? Well, it just, yeah, it just makes you feel like at home. But so aside from, let's say, um, people in your community, in your neighborhood, friends, family, you know, cooking for you, singing songs, that whole community element, what would you say was the most helpful to you um, when you were going through the, number one, the process leading up to, you know, the 90 days where he was in the hospital and Mm -hmm. then also afterwards, you know, when you're now in full grieving mode versus all hope is gone, you're, because you had like the, the hope period and then obviously then it's like, okay, yeah, the loss period. Well, you know, I do think that the hope period, now looking back, I realized I was already starting my grieving, you know, even though I was so hopeful, once Nick lost his leg, I knew our lives would never be the same. Yeah, I never thought he wouldn't make it, but I knew like our lives are now going to be very different. Right. And, um, and then when I was told like every day he was in rehab would be, or sorry, every day he's in the ICU is a month in rehab. So then I started calculating that and I was like, oh, he's going to be in rehab for like years possibly. Um, So I, I realized I started grieving way before I actually had to start grieving, you know? I think ultimately what saved me once he passed, I think was definitely Elvis. Because Nick's mom told me this, Nick's mother lost her husband three years before Nick passed away. So she was a widow. And when Nick was in the hospital, she sat me down one day and she said, if he doesn't make it, you're going to be okay. She gave me this huge speech. And I was like, mom, don't talk about like, and she was like, no, 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 Amanda, like, you're going to be okay. Elvis is going to save you. He's going to give you a purpose every day to wake up and to smile and to play and to laugh and to, you know, think about something other than yourself and how sad you are. And she was right. I um, slept with Elvis every single day because I needed the cuddles and I would wake up and the first thing I would see is his little face and he would open his eyes and he would start smiling at me and laughing. And it was like, I mean, the best way to start the day, even if that day was the day after I lost Nick. And I'll never forget, this was crazy. Nick passed away um, in the morning. And so after we left the hospital, we came home and my girlfriend, Rachel, was watching Elvis. And I walked into the house and she was holding Elvis and I grabbed Elvis and I gave her a big hug. And I took Elvis to the room that I was staying at at this house that we were in. And it was like 11 o'clock, maybe 1130 in the afternoon, Um, not his nap time at that time. But I grabbed him and I locked the door and I laid down in the bed with Elvis, like literally just after spending a night at the hospital and losing Nick and having to put him away. And I crawled into bed with Elvis and I cuddled him up and we passed out together for three hours wrapped in each other's arms. Before I fell asleep, I looked at him and I said, it's you and me, kiddo. I said, it's you and me. And we passed out and we slept for three hours together. And it's like, I know, he saved me. Like he he knew, it It was weird, Kelly. Like I look, I remember looking at him and he looked at me like, I got you, mom. Like it, he got it. It's so weird. He's such an old soul, such well, a cool kid. What, he is. And what kills me from that story though is also just, how Nick's mom, who, who I know you lost much more recently, yeah, um, that she was able to say that to you, knowing know. that like she had gone through it, knowing that you know it's like she's like, hey, if you're going to be in my position one day, I'm yeah. telling you, you can get through this. Yeah, but to have that foresight to also be able to comfort you in that moment and say like, you can do this. Like Elvis is going to get you through this. I know. And then and she sure was enough, losing her son. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, how can, you know, the thought of being able to even speak at all, let alone impart words of wisdom onto somebody. Yeah. She was an incredible woman. I mean, really incredible woman. So selfless and uh, very 
she would always say this, like she grew up in a family that like didn't give hugs and didn't say I love you. So she was just very um, stoic and strong, you know, but full of love and loved her kids and loved her family so much. And Nick was her firstborn. So yeah, we were in the hospital and she pulled me aside to give me advice as she was losing her son. Yeah. I, I mean, like. That just shows how she was able to even put you and Elvis first, knowing yeah. that that's what would be most important to him. Yeah, you know? I know. I know. She was, yeah. And then we, and sadly lost her uh, in January of this year. So it's almost coming up in a year. I mean, what that family has gone through is it's just. not fair. Um, yeah. You, I mean, me knowing you and like just the story you just told about you and Elvis, like cuddling on that day, me knowing the kind of mom you are and you being very open about that, putting that out there. Did you still ever get people who are like, this is how you should parent during grief? Yeah. I mean, there's always, unfortunately, Aside from, let's say a, tro- <laughs> you know, an online yeah. troll where we just don't pay attention to that anyway. Of course, there was a couple, there have been a couple, um, judgments about like how much I work or, um, you know, when I'm away, you need to be home with your son. You need to be, you're way too much. You're traveling too much. You're working too much. There's been that to which I say, I agree, but I'm a single mother who, um, has to do everything. I, 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 I now have Elvis's life in my hands and I want to give him everything I possibly can. I promise that to Nick. And also I love to work. I like working. I like creating. I like feeling important. I like going to do things. I, you know what I mean? So it's a twofold. I don't ever really let it bother me too much. And if somebody's really mean, I'll just like block or restrict them. Or sometimes I'll write back and, and try to make them see their, error in their ways and then apologize hopefully because I think people are quick to judge but um that's like that's the extent of it other than you know you do something and they're like his car seat straps are wrong make sure you (laughs) and in that respect you're kind of slightly annoyed but also like like, well thanks I I know (laughs) it's like you know you know some people can't help it and sometimes you're like okay thank you actually even though it's annoying but thank you but um I don't know yeah luckily there hasn't been too much of that I you know I haven't had to deal with Elvis Elvis's grief yet it's coming some some things have started to pop up he does ask me questions about dying and death and where's dad and can I go visit him and um oh this was a this was a sad one but um (laughs) Just getting sadder. <laughs> no, but it was. Bring uh, it on, girl. Bring it on. We can handle it. Um, Nick's birthday was September seventeenth, and um, I always celebrate it because I want Elvis to. Yeah. I I I love celebrating birthdays, and birthdays are a very hard day for me. My birthday, Elvis's birthday, Nick's birthday are still some of my hardest grief days. And so, anyways, I I go out to dinner and we celebrate Nick. And so we got all dressed up. And I told him, I was like, we're going out to dinner tonight to celebrate Dada. We're going to get dressed up. And he goes, will he be there? Oh. And so, like, it's those kinds of things right now that I'm dealing with with Elvis, where you're just, like, daggers to the heart. And then you have to yeah. figure out how to explain it to a four-year-old without him getting confused, you know? Yeah, because you, you never really know exactly. Like, you, they can mimic what you said, yeah. you know, but you don't know if how much of it they really understand. Like when my nieces just came to visit me for the first time um, the other, you know, a couple weeks ago, Alex, she goes, she goes, well, where's Uncle Bob? And she goes, wait, is he in heaven? And we're like, yeah. And then she goes, mommy told me that he died. Like, is that true? And then I was like, wait, did she, my sister really tell her that? Or am right. I like breaking this news to her? Right, like, right. I, And I was like, Kimmy, did you? And she's like, yeah, I told her. I was like, yeah, he did. And, you know, and, you know, he's in heaven and this and that. But then they kind of forget. And then yeah. it comes back again. Like, well, where's Uncle Bob? And yeah. Like, oh, you know, because you don't really know how much they understand. And she's only exactly. a little bit younger than Elvis. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, yes, you can tell in their little brains they're trying to figure things out or piece things together, and it's heartbreaking. And it's usually like he'll ask me on the way to preschool. So I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, you're like just starting the day off, and you're like, whew, okay. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, it's it's, but it hasn't been that. It hasn't been too bad. I will say, I think because – my social media really grew over COVID. So the, my followers that follow me are, are good people right. that um, have, have been very supportive of um, my life and, and what I do and the things that I create and, and my life since Nick. And so that's, it's been good. I would say 90%, you know, right. and then you have like the horrible 10. Right. And that's, and it's the same thing that, I've truly felt too is most of the people in our social media communities, like they're there because either they love me and want to support me or they loved Bob. Yeah. You know, like you had a very beloved husband too. And these were probably people who were like, Oh, I loved him. So now I want to support her. Yeah. You know, so it's that same general, you know, vibe of people just wanting to be supportive or, you know, they really want your fitness um, yeah. well, tips and your, all that stuff <laughs> for me. It's like they want my recipes, whatever right. it is. Um, I don't think either of us have had that persona where we're like inviting, you know, yeah, judgment, critique, trolls, all that stuff yes. where some people are a little bit more polarizing in that aspect where it's like they're, it's more of a breeding ground for that. And yes. I don't really think we've had that. No. Yes. My I, page is positivity. Exactly. If, if well, I mean, you literally yeah. have your positive thought, <laughs> AKA's yeah. positive thought of the day. You don't want to be day. positive. You shouldn't follow me. <laughs> right, like, you don't want happy thoughts. Don't be here. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details i remember this brings me back to one of the very first things we talked about when we first met the first time we got coffee because this is a concept that i feel is maybe not addressed enough in this world of I hate the word widow I I hate it I hate it so much I don't identify with it I I don't like it but you know for all intents and purposes uh and for a definition aspect let's use that term I know but especially on the younger side you know when you lose your husband at around let's say you know in your 30s in your 40s even in your 50s yeah and you start thinking about moving forward I don't even like saying moving on yeah you know because you're never moving on no. Moving forward yeah. in that world of, you know, meeting somebody new. I remember I asked you because you're a year and a half ahead of yeah. me. And even though at the time we met, I was only like a month into it. You know, it's still on your mind of like, this is going to be my life one day. Yeah. And I was like, what's that like? Yeah. And you said, you know, it was upsetting. The first time I ever mentioned anything like that, I think whether it was on your show or somewhere, you mentioned something publicly. Talk. You said, 
you got some backlash for it. Yes, correct. I did it. I made a like a little thing. I, I said something on the talk. I, it wasn't like an official Amanda's now dating statement, right. but it was something, you know, that sparked interest. I got backlash. And when something like that comes at me in my life and I know that it is completely ridiculous and wrong, I just face it head on. So what I decided to do was I had met a widower um, through Instagram and we had been Instagram friends. I st- I, we still are. I've never met him in person. We're just widow, widower, Instagram buddies. <laughs> He's a dad. Um, he has three kids and he lost his wife to breast cancer. And um, so I said, I, I reached out to him. I said, Brandon, will you go live with me and talk about dating and how awful it is? And let's put this stigma that we're like back dating and like we don't care about our people anymore because we're like now dating like (laughs) woo and he was like please let's do this and so we got on a live and just had this super honest talk about what it is like going on a first second fifth tenth date after losing your person and it put everybody to rest I didn't get a single hate after that because it was like good it was like oh right I'm sitting on my couch next to my husband or wife that's still alive judging you and I have no right to do that (laughs) and not knowing that you like on any date you're probably your mind is spinning on the way there your mind is spinning on the way home you've probably even cried on the way there or on the way home thinking about like oh this feels so weird you know what I mean the first date was terrible I remember driving there I was still wearing my wedding ring because I wore my wedding ring for I think like a year and a couple months after losing Nick so I was wearing my wedding ring I was driving to this restaurant it was a friend of a friend he was going through a divorce so I was like okay I was like, what do I do with this? What do I, if I, if I take it off, I feel like I'm like cheating on Nick, which is ridiculous. But if I leave it on, the guy's going to be like, whoa, like, are we on a date? Like, is she ready to be on this date? Like, right. she's still wearing. And I know I shouldn't even care about what he's thinking. I should only really care about like how I'm feeling and I should be confident in whatever choice that I, but I was literally like driving, taking it on and off, on and off. I left it on. I park. I remember being so nervous for this date. We go through the date. I remember wanting to just leave though. Like at one point, even though it was a lovely date, I was like about to have a panic attack. I walked to my car and I got out of my car and I bawled. I cried so hard I couldn't drive home. I had to pull over to the side of the road and call my girlfriend and she had to call me down before I could even finish driving home. Not because the date wasn't awful. The guy was wonderful. He was so nice. We had a great time. But it was literally just that like I couldn't believe that this is my life now, that I, I... I I don't have my person and it was just it was just a, a huge major reality check and it was awful and yet you know people on Instagram yeah. are like I can't believe you're dating again don't you care about your present your husband at all and you're like are you kidding me I would die to have my husband back I I don't I don't want this to be my life I don't right? I don't want to go on a date oh remember yeah we would talk about that we're like oh this seems yeah. awful like, like I don't want to do this beyond the I stupid apps this. and. Yeah. And like, you're like, oh, what do you do for how many brothers and sisters do you have? You know, like, oh, that is not what I wanted to do. Did not see this in, you know, like on the bingo card for this year. But here we are. So what do we do? Yeah. And I love being in a relationship. I love having a man in my life. I I want that again so badly. So it's not an option. I'm not just going to sit at home. Right. (laughs) I don't know. It's crazy. Well, but at least I'm happy to know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've talked about this in some aspect, but that you really only got that negative, you know, feedback, judgment, whatever you want to call it for like a hot second. And then you dispelled it and diffused it. And then it was. Yeah. And then it was gone because. Anyone that's saying anything, I mean, all that really matters is the people closest to you. Like to me, all that mattered when I mean, granted, of course, yes, you have to feel it in your heart and you have to feel like you're comfortable with going on a date moving forward. But to yeah. me, all that mattered were Bob's girls. Yeah. I when yeah. I got their blessing, yeah. which was, you know, and I probably would have had it even sooner, but sure. 
it was maybe 14 months after he passed. It was like March or something. We had a talk and I was like, look, you know, I'm not ready for anything too exciting at this point. But, you know, maybe it'd be nice to like go on a hike with somebody or like go get a coffee. And they're like, Kelly, go. <laughs> like, what? Like, we want you to be happy. Like, he would want you to be happy. I was like, mm, are you sure about that? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, and then that's when we sell or separate the, you know, as I call it now, earthly Bob from heavenly Bob. Earthly Bob would have been like, how dare you? I knew you never loved me. See, like, how quickly you can move past me, you know. But heavenly Bob would be like, of course I want you to be happy. Yes, yeah. So when I got their blessing and, like, their, you know, unequivocal, full-on, open, excited blessing. They weren't just like, I mean, you know, whatever you want. You know, they were like, no, we want you to be happy. Well, and the bottom line is, is like you never know when you're going to meet somebody, you know? I mean, one of my parents' friends, he lost his wife, and I think it was like a couple months later, he met somebody else. And I remember saying to my mom and dad, because I had already lost Nick, and they, they were like, I can't believe that he's already. And I go, stop it right now. It's so amazing that he met somebody. That's that's such a blessing. Like to have somebody by your side. And if she's amazing and supporting him through his grief and like he's he's finding a connection again, like that's amazing. And whether it comes a week after, two years after, five years after, it doesn't matter. You ne- You can't, you can't, judge when somebody comes into your life like right you know what i mean how are we supposed to oh a year i'm gonna grieve one year and then i'm gonna be ready no right or i'm gonna meet the person no right you don't it's a nice know. rule of thumb like for me i knew that at least a in the court of public opinion but b just even among my peers or family i was like one year seemed like the appropriate amount of time to at least it's not saying well, you better meet somebody the day after a year passes. But it means, yeah. it, like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not even going to think about this yeah, for a year. Yeah. And I couldn't think about right. it for no. a year. No, I, I, and I, I'm a hundred percent there with you. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, in the world of judging, right, dating after grief, I just feel like there's just absolutely no room to judge, just because right. you could bump into somebody at a coffee shop and it could change your life in a beautiful way. And when you are grieving and you know this. You're so lost. You're so sad that any happiness that can come into your life, like, God Amen. bless. Yeah. Amen. And that is why I I remember I felt it was maybe four or five months after I had moved into my new house already. And I had a moment where, like, I was kind of blasting some music. And I started singing along and, like, dancing around my house. And then it, like, hit me. And then I felt so guilty for like singing and dancing alone in my own house mm. that I was like, oh my God. I was like literally looking around. Like, Did somebody see that? Yeah. Am I going to be judged for being happy? And then I started feeling guilty for feeling happy. Yeah. And then I've just talked to some people since and it's like any moment in this life that you can feel joy and happiness, you take it because this life is short and we have no idea how long we have. Yeah. We could not be here tomorrow. I know. So if we can be happy for a minute, take it because, you know, especially when you're grieving, if you can be happy for one minute, you know that the next minute's going to be down here. So it's like, enjoy it while you can. Absolutely. No. And you're so right. I mean, the days after Nick passed away, my whole family was still there and and Leslie was still there and we had little Elvis running around. He had just started walking, so he was full on entertainment. So yeah, you would catch yourself laughing and you would feel guilty. But then if I would lay in bed and cry all day, I felt guilty for that doing that too, because I was a mother to a one year old little boy and I knew that Nick would be like, Honey, get out of bed. Come on. Like let's so, like get up. Like do something. Don't don't lay in bed and cry right. all day. So I I would feel guilty being sad and you feel guilty being happy. It's that's why it's just like grief is just such a it's like this crazy weird world that you right. don't understand until you're in it. Right. You really don't. Did you find that a routine really helped you or was it was there like mm. calm in the chaos or did you need 
a routine? And I'm assuming, obviously, once you really started working and doing yes. the talk, then you have a routine. But yes. But yeah, how yeah, did yeah. that play into it all? Yes. I would say because, yes, until I started the talk, I did not have a, a routine. So every day was just like a, a, a random day. I was We were moving out of the rental that we had. I was moving into the home that Nick and I bought now just with Elvis and I. Um, I had to get rid of a lot of Nick's things and a lot of our things that we had together. So like the first couple months were terrible because it was just getting rid of things, deciding. Ugh, I, I mean, it was just, that. it was terrible. Um, once I started the talk that saved my life because I did, I had Elvis was in preschool. I would drop him off for preschool. I would go do my job. I was surrounded by adults, surrounded by people that were making me laugh every day, having adult conversations instead of just talking to a one-year-old every day. <laughs> and um, and I was getting clothed and makeuped. And so I felt pretty after a year in pandemic mode and being in the hospital every day. So it, it did. It saved my life. A routine really, really, really helped me. So that would be, let's say, some advice that you would give to somebody else's like for yeah. me, like we didn't really have a routine, but even just something as simple as like getting up at the same time and making coffee. I yeah. mean, just something that could make you feel like a person. Well, it's funny because a lot of times people will say, um, you know, oh my gosh, you went back to work like right away. And I actually think that I, I get why people do. You you need to do that. It's actually like, I actually feel like um, bereavement for a, a job should be something where maybe you have two weeks. I don't know what the allotted uh, bereavement time. I don't think it's much actually, but I actually think it should be something where I'm going to save it and I'm going to take it when I actually really, really need it. It might not be the day after the two days after, because you kind of just need to keep like life is still normal. You know, you're living in this like hazed reality. And so I feel like going to work might actually help somebody to stay in a routine to feel like things are normal and then take that bereavement time, you know, when you need it, like maybe a month out when you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know what I mean? Sometimes it doesn't, reality doesn't hit you right away. Well, and I think maybe that's something that even brings it back to doing this in the public eye. I feel like if you were just a school teacher or worked in a factory or something that if you had to go back to work because you had to feed your kid, like you would not have been judged for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? People right. would be like, oh, yeah, she's got to well, go back to work. I mean, yeah. I know people who have lost a loved one and they're literally back at work like the next week because yeah. they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, I and. Know. But it might that routine might help save them, too. You right. Know? Right. Well, then and Again, that's the thing. Don't judge anyone grieving. <laughs> right. Because you don't. I, I feel like I bet the people who are judging are ones who have not gone through it or at least not to the level yeah. you know like maybe they lost you know a cousin or something but yeah, not a pet or something or yeah a yeah. spouse yeah yeah you know but um you have also been a big pro- proponent of you know really taking care of your mental health and stuff throughout all of this and i think isn't that how you met rabbi leader was through he was what on was the it? talk. He was promoting his book, The Beauty of What Remains. Right. And he was a guest on the talk via Skype or Zoom because we were still Zooming. And I was doing my due diligence as a host of a television show. So yes. I started reading his book. And it's, it's you know, it's a beautiful book and it deals with death and grieving. And so I it was the only book I could read about grief. It was months after Nick had passed. I had received many, mm-hmm. in fact, two to three copies of some of the same books. People I had a love to send the books. Yes. <laughs> and it just wasn't something that I could bring myself to do. Uh, it wasn't my, I, I couldn't grieve all day and then read about grief too. So I just, <laughs> right. I couldn't do it, but I could see why it would help people. But anyways, I picked up Steve's to um, be prepared for the interview fell in love with this book because of how honest it was. And I was very honest with how I was grieving and, and everything that I had gone through. So I felt like I really related to the book. And so then when we Zoomed, I just fell in love with Rabbi Steve and then um, DM, slid in his DMs afterwards <laughs> and was ow, like, ow. hey, 
can yeah. we be friends? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I know we're, you know, I, 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 I loved you too. And so then our relationship just blossomed from that. Oh, that's Love so that nice. guy. Right. So, okay. So, cause he had mentioned something about how you had done something with our house, yes. which is the, God, what, what is our the, house? Grief is a, um, is a beautiful nonprofit support group. Support that's, group. that's the word everyone yes. support group. I was like group therapy. No yeah, support, support group, group yeah. for families um, that are grieving. They do an amazing job with children that, you know, like I, I, I foresee myself um, getting more involved with our house once Elvis, like it hits Elvis because they have a lot of groups for kids that oh, nice. are, would all be in his same boat that, you know, uh, as of right now, I don't know if he, I don't know if I know of anyone that he could talk to about this. That's another kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and they were giving me so graciously an award. And so Steve um, introduced me at that um, award ceremony oh, and we did nice. a little talk. So that was our, our house moment. Wonderful, wonderful, great resource for grief. It's so funny now thinking back to that first time I met you at that coffee shop to now, I mean, such a change like I mean oh yeah I was a mess yeah. I was a mess and I remember from that initial because I mean I was crying almost the whole time you know because yeah. I was a month in like yeah. I, I didn't go a day without crying for like six months yeah and that first day I met you we started talking I started crying and then you started crying saying you know you're like well you know it can be lonely like I just really you know like I, it's still, it still hurts. Like it, here I am, a, you were a year and a half in at the time. And I remember being like, the fact that you were crying at a year and a half, like somehow was very comforting to me mm -hmm. because I was like, it made me feel like, oh good, even a year and a half now, like I'm still going to be connected to it. Like how she's yeah. still connected oh, to Nick, even a year and a half in, it made me feel like in a sense because some of it you don't want to let go of. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. You want to always right, right, keep right. that with you. And I was yeah. like, oh, good. She's still feeling it a year and a half. In. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Which is, which like is still kind of strange. And, and that's something else you've said is that you've connected happy grief versus like sad grief. Like when you're thinking about Nick. And mm -hmm. I have that now too mm -hmm. with Bob where you can still be experiencing the grief, but it has more of like a happy tinge to it versus a sad tinge. Like I'm sure yeah. you feel it more like if you look at a photo or like watch a video or something Yeah. where in the beginning I couldn't look at a photo or watch a video. Like I would still do it. Yeah. I would always do it. I would make my, like even from day one, I was looking through photos and looking through videos, but I would cry and it was so painful to look at them. Yeah. Whereas now I can look at a photo of him and smile and laugh and watch a video and laugh. And yeah. I mean, sometimes still cry, but it's, it's like happy grief versus yeah. sad grief. Our house actually just posted the other day on their Instagram, a beautiful quote that said, the funny thing about grief is one day, the same photo one day will make you smile. And then the next day will make you cry. It's just what it is. It's, yeah. It's happy grief yeah. inside grief. Yeah. Which is very interesting. And I then, I mean, you've had some other ways of even helping you get through this. Like, I mean, you've done so much stuff. Believe me, I listed your <laughs> accolades before, uh, you know, in the intro. But, you know, you've written now at least two. Am I missing one? But nope, two, in two. Okay. Two <laughs> incredible books, Thank which you. I've read both, of course. Um, how did that help you? Especially the one you just did with Elvis and for Elvis, you know, yeah. tell me your dreams. Um, immensely. You know, the children's book, I didn't, and I still don't think it's a grief um, book, but it's just a great, what I realized is in writing a book and then promoting the book, and because books take so long to happen, especially a children's book, the illustrator takes eight to nine months just to illustrate the book before you even see any of the illustrations to start talking about it. You would think a children's book would be like, oh, that's so yeah, super fast. Super yeah. fast. No, no, no. Um, so by the time you're like doing press for it, you've had so much time to like let it marinate in your body. And then you're talking about it over and over. And what I realized for that book was that it's a great tool for parents to use to incorporate people that they've lost in their life with their children. So that's what I did with Nick for Elvis because I'm trying to always think of ways that I can incorporate Nick into our lives so that he feels like he has memories because 
He doesn't. He was 10 months old when Nick left to the hospital, so he doesn't have any memories. So I try to create memories so that he feels like he has them. Or times where, like, I truly believe Nick comes to Elvis in his dreams a lot. He's Nick's come to me three times in dreams that I remembered. Um, so what I did was, like, okay, when you go to sleep, you're going to have this awesome adventure time with Dada. But what I realized in, in promoting the book was that any parent could do this for any a grandpa they lost, a grandmother they lost, a cousin, a friend, a sibling, God forbid. Like, you can use it as a way to, like, you're going to go to sleep now, little one, but let's have a dream about grandpa and what are you going to so do cool. with grandpa in your dream? And then the next day it can be somebody else. And, and in your dreams... It can be so fantastical. So I always incorporated all the things that Elvis has loved and, you know, flying in clouds made of vanilla ice cream and raining rainbow sprinkles because it's a dream. And Well, one of the things that you say that you do, I'm assuming that helps bring you peace, of course, maybe makes you feel closer to Nick is when you always want to go by the water and go yeah. by the ocean. Yeah. And you do that, what, on like his birthdays or anniversaries? Or... Well, part of Nick's ashes are in the Pacific Ocean um, His because I did that because his dads are in the Pacific Ocean, so uh, in Costa Rica, but let's just hope that the ocean... They all meet. It all meets. It all and, meets. And all comes together. And then what's crazy is the, the day I did that was our anniversary that I put his ashes in... Um, in this part of the ocean in, in Malibu. And um, I said to him that day, I was like, you know, anytime we're at the beach, if you want to come to us, like, you know, show 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 us like a dolphin or something. And oh. I swear every time we're in Malibu, I see dolphins in the water. Like every time. I know it's like not a random occurrence that dolphins are in Malibu, but. I never see dolphins. <laughs> oh, really? Like no. literally we see them almost every time we're at the beach. Wow. Um. But one of the things I did realize when I picked up Nick's ashes and opened them for the first time was how many ashes you get. <laughs> There's a lot of ashes. So I've put them in the Pacific. I put them all over New York City at all of like our little favorite spots in New York, all the places that we oh, wow. lived, the place that he used to always take the dogs in Central Park. Um, I put some at uh, our home that we bought here together in our home that I now live in. Um, I gave some of his ashes to his uh, family. I have some in a urn. I made jewelry out of his ashes. Oh, like, wow. And I still have a ton left. I made vases, <laughs> um, pottery with his ashes, and I keep flowers in them at the house. I've, like, This is not so, – I, I did not know that this is just an yes, ongoing thing. it is. I don't know why I thought that somebody's ashes came down to this size, but that is not the case. I mean, Nick was 6'5", so then, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it's it's awakening, eye-awakening, but yeah. I bet you find new things. You're like, I didn't even know I could do that with ashes. Like, yeah. there's new things you all the can, time. Like, yeah, you the could get a tattoo like, with ashes, <gasps> um, which could be super cool. Do you think cool. you would do that? I think I, I think I would. I still have We were talking about getting uh, tattoos together. So as I said, that. you do not have to twist my arm. Anytime you want to go, I will go. I know. I need, and I have so many I'm ideas. I'm way too impulsive with them. The the uh, the tattoo I got for after Nick passed was this little rainbow because rainbows were so a part of that whole journey, and it's me, Nick, and Elvis in this little rainbow. Oh. But um, I do want to do more. And the, it wasn't with his ashes. So, yes, we could. I'm game. There's also this guy that uh, will come to you. So oh, okay. Well, uh, we can well, we, we'll do we, it. We, we can do that too. <laughs> That'll be the podcast I start. <laughs> okay. So what would first off, totally random. I saw you just posted something about uh -oh. this end of life thing that you're doing. Yeah. What is that all about? Okay. So I um I actually I cheated. I saw it on Tig Notaro's um, Instagram, and I was like, "What's this?" you know, anything grief. And, and I'm like, that sounds interesting. End Well Project is the End nonprofit. Well Project. Yeah. Cool. The nonprofit End Well Project. And they're doing this um, symposium where they're like literally covering every topic from like caregiving to, you know, grief to everything. Like it's, it's really cool. So then I went on their Instagram page and I saw that they follow me. And so I was, I was like, what is this thing? I was like, I, can I be a part of this? I was like, this sounds really, really cool. Like anytime anyone wants to kind of like debunk the stigmas of grief, I'm like, please, like, let's do that. Like, that's so important. And so um, 
they were so happy to hear from me and and they luckily had extra room on their schedule right at you know last minute and so I'll be doing uh, I'll be closing it out with um Yvette Nicole Brown and just having a really great conversation about grief and navigating your life after losing somebody and being a parent and figuring it all out very interesting what would you say is let's say some great tools that you've learned throughout this whole process that whether it's a tool or an advice piece of advice that you could give to somebody going through it and also things to say not to do like if somebody else is grieving and you know your friend's best friend just lost somebody it's like you're they're going over to their house like don't do this yeah <laughs> or make sure you do this yeah um okay the first one um the first one I would say is something that has been um that I've known, but it's been like a newer development, I would say is that healing never ends. So my advice would be to constantly try to keep working on yourself and this and the grief and the trauma. It never ends because life, our life keeps on going. It's a constant battle. So my advice is to just constantly keep working on yourself so that you can um, keep evolving and, and growing and getting stronger because it, it'll keep hitting you in all directions. But then the other thing I would say is I met this recent widow over Instagram and, um, she was like asking me for advice on therapies or groups. And I said, I actually, I don't do group therapy. It's not just it's something that I haven't found yet as to be my thing. I said, but I'd be happy to meet you. I said, we could meet for a coffee or a lunch. I said, or if you want to go for a walk, she was like, let's go for a walk. I said, great. And so we met for a walk. And as soon as we started walking, she goes, oh my God, thank you so much for not going to coffee or lunch. If I have to sit through another coffee or lunch, I'm so sick of that. She's like, I, I just, it felt so good that when you said walk, just to move and just to walk and talk. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you're right. Like what? Yeah, let's yeah. move and talk and, and walk at the same time. So like, I think my advice to not do would just be like, be a good friend. It's what Steve always says. Be the person, be who you are. Be who you innately are around people that are grieving, right? Don't well, change who like you are. Rabbi Steve Leader always says, be your true authentic self. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a baker, bake. If you're a comedian, make people laugh. If you're, right. you know, if you, if you love doing the laundry and cleaning the house, come in and clean their house and do their laundry. That makes sense. Um, and I think like for me, it was like, I love to move. <laughs> I love to exercise. So I was like, come on, we're going on a, we're going on a walk. I don't know. Which I'm sure for you has been so helpful. Like just exercise. I'm sure that really oh, that helps center you for everything. And, and so if that helped you so much, why would that not help somebody that you're helping? Yeah. It still is like my saving grace mentally. I have to move something every day just to, mentally feel better well and it inspires so many people also as I'm sure you've heard over and over and over again but I mean even for me not even let's say on the grief end but just on the motivational end there have been times where I've seen you you know do a workout or even dance which I do not dance but I'll see you dance and then I'm like <laughs> all right at least that's going to make me get up and move my butt you oh know? good yeah so it's it's <laughs> motivated me too Thank you so, so, so you. much. I love you so much you for uh, eating grilled cheese with me. Delicious. <laughs> and uh, waffle fries and sharing this incredible advice, your life stories. Thank I mean, you. obviously what you've gone through can help so, so many people. I mean, you know, we try, we, we think, you know, if we even can help a person that we've met, you know, like you reach yeah. out to that widow on Instagram, but like this type of thing can help so many more people. So I'm just so grateful for you in Thank general. You. I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. Um, and, you know, I've kind of followed your lead on a lot of things and mm -hmm. I've taken your advice and um, you've been very inspiring to me. So I'm just grateful to you as a friend, as grateful a human, as a person. And, I love that we um, have each other. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I love you so much. So um, let's go get a drink yes. and maybe some tattoos. And, <laughs> uh, and that's that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The meal we had today in the studio was a basic grilled cheese with waffle fries. It's not really the type of thing where you need a recipe, but if you're looking for one, here it is. Take two pieces of bread and slather them in some mayo on the outside and butter on the inside, or however you prefer. Add some American cheese and put your sandwich together. 
Put a little bit of butter in the pan, heat it up, and put your sandwiches in there. Toast on one side until golden brown, then flip them over and toast the other side with the lid on so that the cheese gets nice and melty. For the waffle fries, we had them frozen, so preheat your oven and bake to the package instructions. Buon appetito, and thanks for tuning in. Comfort Food is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Acast. Our executive producers are Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, Leah Sutherland, and yours truly, Kelly Rizzo. Our audio producer is Chiara Noni. Special thanks to Camila Goldenberg for production assistance. Our audio engineer and editor is Matthew Blocka. This podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Rizzo. Thanks for tuning in. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.